1: Take a moment to connect with your mates. A simple text or an open conversation can make a world of difference. And if they don't respond right away, don't hesitate to follow up. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football.
2: Do not adjust your television set. This is not a drill. The Clarets have been awarded a Premier League penalty. This is the on and Ever podcast.
3: Hello and welcome to the Known and Ever podcast and we are legging it off to more after an absolutely jubilant end to that game. listeners. you're going to have to bear with me. I'm not in good shape. I'm not quite sure whether I'm actually having heart failure or I might just pass out from all the excitement or I'm in shock because Burnley have done the unthinkable. We got a Premier League goal. No, that's not right. What did we get? Premier League Penalty! Oh my god, I'm all over the place. Oh, what a rollercoaster of a game. 1-1. A game we absolutely could not afford to lose. But found ourselves in the 92nd minute actually losing. 1-0. Awful defending for the first goal. We'll come back onto that later on. But actually it wasn't a game that I thought we deserved to lose. Not sure, either side deserved to win. I think a draw is probably a fair result, but we certainly didn't deserve to lose. We knew it was going to happen <clears throat> 10 minutes ish, 10 15 minutes for the end of time. Super signing, 38 <laughs> year old Peter Crouch comes on. Now, I'll talk about this more next week when we get on the show, but I thought he was going to be a bit of a novelty sign in, I thought it was going to be a bit funny. I genuinely didn't expect him to have The level of impact that he had On that 15 minutes, sorry he was on the pitch The only time that we actually genuinely Looked like a proper goal threat In that first Sorry, in that last 15 minutes was at the end Defenders just don't know how To mark him and He was involved in the decision to award the penalty He got his body between two defenders And the Southampton Defender had no choice but to Put his arm up um, It's a bit dumb really When you look at it But I don't really care And Ashley smashes it Into the back of the net um, So many talking points From that game The Red card That wasn't a red card In the first 10 minutes The penalty That wasn't a penalty And was a booking For diving At the end of the first half All massive talking points And we'll look at them When we get um, With the boys in the studio But for now ah, It's warm Burnley won, Southampton won, again we could not lose and we've scored a penalty, happy days
4: Okay, here's my uh, post-match reaction from that uh, one-all draw today at Turf Moor I'm sounding a little bit hoarse mainly from shouting, I think, at uh, referee Anthony Taylor particularly for his performance in the first half which was uh, shocking um, Burnley somehow ended up with uh, a penalty at the end I think the uh, Southampton player had to catch the ball for the referee to give it we should have had uh, two penalties Ashley Barnes had a blatant one in the first half wasn't given but uh, such is the way that Burnley don't tend to get very many penalties given 658 days it's been uh, we've finally got a penalty and minute uh, of extra t- added time Ashley Barnes stepped up, slotted it away, and Burnley got a a point in the end, which was the least they deserved from the match, I thought. Um, Yeah, Burnley, it'd been a different game, I think, if they'd have scored the penalty in the first half, but Southampton came back into it. A good goal from uh, Redmond. Burnley always looked like they had a goal in them, and thankfully, eventually, they got that goal. So uh, we're relieved. Two points in two games doesn't tell the story of uh, Manchester United in midweek and Southampton today, but it's uh, certainly a point gained, I think, today when it gets that late in the game and Burnley haven't uh, got anything out of it. But, uh, yeah, relieved to get a point out of it because not only does it give Burnley a point, it prevents Southampton from getting all three as well. So uh, I hope they have my voice back by the time we get back in the studio for the uh, podcast on Monday.
2: and there we have it live immediate cold excited shivering nervous energetic match reaction from Dave and Natalie coming out of turf more on saturday dave before we start this week's show properly I'm a little bit concerned about our fitness levels. I'm not entirely sure that either of us should be quite out of breath as we were in that quick match reaction. What's going on?
4: Uh, well, I, I I was trying to find somewhere quiet to record. So I'd actually walked all the way from the ground um, all the way down to where the roundabout was and then found somewhere quiet down there. So I've got a slight excuse on that. And I was trying to keep up with my kids as well. Um, And I think the biggest problem from my point of view was that um, my voice and my voice was going I think I've been shouting so much at the uh, referee during the game that uh, my voice was starting to go thankfully it's a little bit better today so that's uh, that's, uh, good news.
2: You do sound a little bit croaky, though. I wish I had some kind of excuse. My only excuse is that, number one, I'm inherently lazy, which means that, number two, I'm massively out of shape when it comes to cardio exercise. And I park at the top of that massive hill behind the ground, so I have to walk up what is affectionately known as cardiac hill, and I was recording walking up that hill. So, embarrassingly, I have zero excuses. I am just massively unfit. Uh, But welcome back, Dave. It's good to have you again.
4: Thank you.
2: Good. And for a second week running... We are joined by a very special guest. We have listener George Poole joining us. George, welcome to the show.
5: Hi guys, it's great to be here. Pleasure to be on the show. I've been listening for a few years now, so to be finally on, it's brilliant.
2: Excellent. Well, it's very good to have you. George, tell our lovely listeners a little bit about yourself. How long have you been watching the Clarets, etc, cetera, etc?
5: Cetera? Yes, yeah, so I've been watching pretty much, well, most of my life really. I know, obviously I don't remember, but my, my dad tells me when I was actually born the first words he spoke to me was up the clarets and um, I've still got the Bertie V teddy bear he gave me on the day I was born and then I've pretty much been going on since. I can of remember games from when I was about five with a sort of Kyle Lafferty years and then um, the first sort of season I properly started going on luckily enough was the Coyle promotion season and then I've been on ever since and it's been quite a ride
2: yeah it definitely has and we, we obviously have with us this evening a very new fan which is fantastic and although you telling me that going on as a child in the car laugh two years i don't know about you dave makes me feel really old it's like oh wow yeah me too, <laughs> me too. I, I love that first words up the clarets i always thought if i'd ever have a child i'm going to say those very first words as well i might i might forget given the whole trauma of it but george it's lovely to have you um Just so that our listeners know where to find you when they are enthralled by your um, input this evening, where can they find you on Twitter?
5: Yeah, so on Twitter, I'm uh, at George Puddle. Puddle being my nickname.
2: Ah, Excellent. Well, hopefully, all of our listeners will already follow you, but if not, they know where to find you. Um, so let's move on. Let's get into the show. We have two things to talk about tonight. We're going to put the Southampton game to one side, I think, for a little bit, just because it was um, a bit of a roller coaster and we've got quite a lot of bits to talk about it. But one of the things that we need to talk about um, for the Southampton game was the impact of our super striker sub who came on for the last 10 15 minutes or so of the game. So it makes a little bit of sense to discuss how we got. Got to the situation where we had not Sam Volks coming off the bench and trying to make an impact, but one and only Peter Crouch. And Dave, we look at the transfer window, which obviously closed on Friday, was it? What day did it close? Um, Thursday, thank you. A bit confused with my dates. Um, And I think it's quite safe to say that it was a disappointing transfer window all round.
4: Um, yeah, I think the general consensus was um, underwhelming. We weren't expecting a lot of uh, action to happen, um, and the Sam Vokes situation kind of developed, didn't it, over the week? There was maybe a, a hint of it when we played at uh, Old Trafford. There was a, um, a question that uh, Simon Evans had asked in, uh, from Reuters, had asked in the um, in the press conference whether the fact that Sam Vokes had uh, gone over. Um, clapped the crowd at the end, or the way the way he'd gone over and clapped the crowd, as most fans know, some uh, tends to do that anyway, and probably is there longer than uh, uh, most of the other players doing that. And there was just maybe a, a hint of that after the match. Uh, the question was asked, and it was kind of well not denied out of hand, but it, the response was, "Well, you know, was he the only one doing that? Well, no," um, and kind of brushed over. Um, but things developed after that. That was Tuesday, and by uh, Thursday, we were aware that things were were happening. And before we knew it, uh, Sam Bokes had gone, and um, and Peter Crouch had arrived. I, I guess a, a direct replacement, um, a striker for a striker. Um, but obviously, a thirty eight year old striker has just turned thirty eight, as Peter Crouch, as opposed to uh, Sam Bokes, who's still twenty nine, I think. So there's a a big difference from that point of view. Um, And the difference being as well that uh, Peter Croucher signed on a a short-term deal till the end of the season. I guess there may possibly be an option after that. Um, My my view on it all was that in terms of the situation we're in, um, Sam Vokes wasn't getting um, a starting place in the team. From his point of view, it kind of made sense, did the move. Um, From Burnley's point of view, we got a striker who came in who's very experienced at this level is um, not going to be a long-term replacement for Sam Bokes, and that gives us a um, a gap to fill in the summer. But I think the summer transfer window is the time where it's better to do your business rather than in January where teams are panicking, the prices are going up in terms of the players and it's just not the conducive time to to make your, your big mark signings which is, I think, um, if we've got a, an opportunity to do that, get the uh, new recruitment guy, uh, Mike Rigg, isn't it? Um, Get him bedded in a little bit more. And then in the summer, we do have a, a job to do, certainly in terms of filling that role and also bringing other players in as well.
2: Absolutely. I mean, George, one of the things that, spread very quickly on social media is an immediate reaction to the transfer window closing and that being the only business that we did was very much a knee-jerk of we have significantly weakened a squad that needed significant improvement now looking at it a couple of days later and the emotions have have settled down and we've got what we've got do you think that's a fair assessment do you think we're weaker
5: now I just think it's an accumulation, really, of a few transfer windows now. Because obviously, at the end of last summer, you're thinking we're in the best position in decades to strengthen the squad. We've obviously got European football squads just finished seventh. You've got all the TV money. And then I'm looking at our squad now compared to the end of last season. We haven't really replaced Scott Arfield. Uh, you could say Dwight McNeil, but maybe in the dressing room. Uh, Dean Marney didn't really need replacing. But it's uh, obviously another body in midfield. And I think, I'm not sure about Defoe's long-term future at Burnley. And it just feels like, obviously, we've let Volks go. I thought it was the right move to let him go, to be honest, just because I watched the Dice interview after Deadline Day, which is a really good watch. And he basically just says, like, obviously, after all he's done for us, if he wants to go and have first-team football, then fair enough. You know, you let him go. And I actually, I really like Crouching as a replacement. But if you are looking at it harshly, our squad is weaker than at the start of January, you'd think.
2: Yeah, I think that's certainly what my initial reaction was. I think over time, how I've looked at it, and I stress very, very, very strongly here, that I am trying all my energy to ignore the fact that I'm completely heartbroken with Sam leaving and I'm trying to hold it together with varying degrees of success. But taking away my emotions to one side... Forbes, for whatever reason, had found himself in a position where he wasn't getting first team football. And a lot of people thought that was pretty harsh on Sam because he'd been playing really well and he'd been probably been playing the best out of our centre forwards in the first half of the season. Woods just had a very slow start to the season and Barnes as well struggled to find the same form that he finished last season with. So we were left in a situation where we we're all a little bit baffled that he was being dropped to start off with. But given that he was, The way I look at it, Sam was only ever going to come on now for the rest of the season to try and make an impact between the last 10 to 15 minutes of every game. So I look at that and I look at Crouch and I say, will Crouch have the same impact or score the same amount of goals in that last 10 to 15 minutes of a game between now and the end of the season as Sam would? And I think the answer to that is probably yes. Yes. So in that sense, in the short term between now and the end of the season, I'm not sure I necessarily agree that we have weakened our squad. Um, That said, George, you're absolutely right. We've got to then look at this at a longer picture um, in that you look at the long term investment. We've now got a really aging squad. We've got tons of experience, but we haven't got speed. We haven't got creativity and we haven't got the legs and um, this squad simply isn't going to be around for the next five years it's at the end of its rotation and what I feel like we're really struggling with at the moment is an injection of youth and an injection of exciting players to take us through to the next five um, five years um, George sticking with you for a minute because I know I've seen you tweet a lot of these things and I know you and I have talked about this to see whether or not we could have done differently um, over the last few episodes we kind of concluded that we were all right in all the other areas in the short term between now and the end of the season. But the striking situation, striker situation, sorry, was one that we probably needed to improve. Um, do you agree with that or did you feel in this transfer window we had an immediate need for cover in any other area?
5: So I thought the striker situation, like it would have been nice to get a striker in. Obviously, we were linked with Che Adams. But at the same time, I still think, I see Brady and I'm just thinking every time he seems to just be injured all the time. And I know it, obviously he's a, he's, he'd be a great player for us if he was fit all the time. But with having both him and Goodman soon, who seem you know a bit injury prone, I think we could have really done with uh, an extra man out wide. Because obviously Dwight McNeil's been fantastic for us. But at the end of the day, he's only 19. And at the moment, well, up until obviously the game at the weekend, you were playing McNeil and then Hendrick out of position. And you don't want to have to rely on McNeil so much that you're having to play him every game. Even though he's playing brilliantly for us, at the end of the day, he's still only 19. So I think if they could have brought in a winger on loan, it might have helped. But then, going back to it, I don't know who I'd have brought in. I've saw people talk about Nkudu, but I don't think he did much for us last season. And the same with Balassi; He was at Villa first half the season and didn't seem to do much. So... It's a lot easier talking about it rather than actually making the decisions.
2: Yeah, it really is. We're always very quick, aren't we, to jump all over the board and jump all over the players, uh, sorry, the management to when something like this happens and we don't quite get the squad in that we want to. Um, I think, Dave, the main frustrating point for me was to hear Deitch talk in his immediate reaction to the transfer window closing about this business model that we have at the club and we can't afford certain players and we have to work within the remits of this, um, this business model that they've put in place. But the reality is is that we haven't really spent massive for about four or five transfer windows now. And I'm not entirely sure how much longer he can sit on that as an excuse.
4: Um, the, well, there, there is a, a reality to the situation. We know that you know, Burnley doesn't have a, a multi-billionaire Owner, chairman, like a lot of the uh, clubs have, and and not just the top sort of five or six teams. There's a lot of teams outside of that. You look at the likes of uh, Everton and Leicester and the type of uh, finances they have behind them. It is almost a a different level, and Burnley are having to try and compete with that. I mean, don't get me wrong, there will be um, uh, a surplus in terms of the transfers we've had in. and haven't spent the money yet, so there will be money in the bank. But again, you're only talking in terms of tens of millions on that, and not hundreds of millions, which is what the uh, some of the other teams have available to them. So there are still difficulties from that point of view. But I think that we've we've done the sensible thing. I think the the in terms of the transfer window for this one, we've I, I think there's a consensus in terms of the three of us here, and hopefully. Now, in terms of um, uh, fans more generally, that we haven't massively weakened the squad from the point of view of Peter Crouch coming in—a very experienced player who is more than capable of uh, turning a game in the last ten, fifteen minutes. Which, to be fair, that's that's what his role is more more likely to be. I think for the remainder of the season. Um, but there is a reality to it also in terms of the um, the, the players we're going to have to bring in. The, the, you know, we, we're going to have to strengthen the squad. Um, and I just think that little bit of extra time, um, you know, to, for Mike Rigg to get in there, for for him to, to to bed in, to to get to know Sean Dyche a little bit better um, and for him, the chairman and, and Sean Dyche to, to work together to get things right. And I think we, we're probably best to hold back and judge it in August. If we're still saying the same thing, we haven't brought anyone in or hardly anyone in um, by the end of August um at the start of uh of next season then there's a different discussion to be had but i think at the moment we have to be a little bit patient um and and let the model as i say let, let the model bed in and see how that pans out in the uh in the next six months and well particularly in the next window that uh that crops up
2: yeah i think that's a fair point um George, one of the things that that Dave raised then was this idea of patience and this acknowledgement that there is a business model and there is a uh, patience that needs to be done needs to be had by fans with regards to big money signings and volume of players coming through the door. It definitely feels to me though that fans are running out of patience with this board and do you do you feel like this is probably the last transfer window that this board and Dyche can get away with this lack of investment without serious questions being asked?
5: I definitely probably agree with you because obviously this is the January transfer window, and looking around the league as a whole, not much business has been done, so I think a lot of fans can sort of look at that and think, you know okay, fair enough, but I think with the the debacle of the last few years we've had with players, you know. Even, I mean, looking back in it now, the sort of average players you've got to think, but at the time, we really wanted Henry Lansbury. Didn't seem to be able to pay the money. He ended up getting a new contract. And then last summer, obviously, with Joe Rodriguez. And you have to be careful when you're looking at the reports, but it seemed that only a couple more million would have made the deal happen. And you're just thinking, why are you not paying that extra couple million? Obviously, he's gone on, he's gone on and scored quite a lot of goals this season. I think the, the Che Adams one, I don't, I don't know if many fans have uh, understood it, but I think from where I'm coming from, it seemed as though because we couldn't loan him back that they didn't want to sell him. And I think that actually shows a lot from Dyche that if they were willing to loan him back it, if possible, they didn't really want a striker too much this January. So I think when it comes to the summer, with Dyche having said now that the Volks money, obviously a fan favourite leaving, is there to sort of replenish the budget, you're looking towards the summer and thinking, we're going to have to sign someone. And especially with Crouch only on a deal to the end of the season, you're looking at maybe a signing like Che Adams in the summer.
2: How do you feel about Che Adams coming in though, George? I mean, to me, he wasn't potentially one that would come in and make an immediate impact on the first team anyway. We all know Deitch's favourites um, and we all know his um insistence on getting his players dash fit i kind of felt that like Adams was one for the future rather than an immediate impact to get us out of this difficult league position we're in so in that sense it's kind of worth waiting for the summer isn't it
5: yeah exactly and especially if it seemed as though dash was obviously willing he, he didn't think he'd come in and make an impact now if he was willing to send him back out on loan and i think was i think we've definitely i think we've changed a bit the way we play football a bit because I know, obviously, a couple of years ago, obviously, we've had Gray and Ings, and they've played alongside the big man, but especially in Grey's sort of last season, he didn't get to play as much, and I just think if Adams would have come in now, I, I wouldn't have seen him starting ahead of Barnes or Wood anyway, so maybe to bring in Crouch till the end of the season, and then Adams in the summer, it definitely is one more for the future, but you can see in Adams, I mean, I can't say I've watched him too much, but when you actually look at the highlights of him, he's got shades of Ings and grey about him. You know, sort of a striker who's not obviously at the top of his game yet, but can progress while he's at the club. Uh, typical of sort of a signing underdice. So he, he definitely had the look of a, a grey or rings who could do well for us in the future if we signed him.
2: Yeah, Dave, you kind of on the same lines with that.
5: Yeah, looking
4: looking back, I thought it rang a bell in terms of the, uh, the name. And we were linked with Shea Adams when he was still a non-league player. Um, he was at Ilkeston before he went to Sheffield United, and there was a lot of talk in the press at that time, which I'm not sure it's all idle talk. It did seem to be genuine that Burnley were interested in signing him. He was only an 18-year-old at that point in time, still playing in non-league. There was talk about quite a big fee for him, I think, um, but that was going back, I think, late 2014, so it's about four, just over four years ago. Um, and Burnley were in for him. Them. I, mean, I don't know what sort of price tag um, would have been the final fee this time. But it was a fairly uh, substantial fee. Um, but there was talk of Burnley getting him before he went to um, to Sheffield United, and that's uh, that's four years ago.
2: Yeah, it's really interesting stuff. I think I've had time to calm down, as I said before, with the transfer window, and it doesn't feel quite as doom and gloom um, as it did beforehand. Although I'm still feeling quite sick about Cardiff's miraculous flipping win on Saturday, which has put us right back in it. But uh we'll just have to wait and see. I think I'm gonna finish off the segment on transfer windows now just to express my incredible just sadness that's looming over me that we've lost Sam. <sighs> I'm not sure my heart will ever recover, ever. But to be fair, you know he's—he gave us so many years um, of his career. He was instrumental in two promotions. Um, he stuck with us, and and I'll never forget the Voxing's partnership was just a fantastic time to be a Claret. It really propelled us into the big time where we are now. So, Sam, you go with our thanks with our hearts, and you will always, always be a Claret. Let's go. So moving on, Dave, um, to Saturday and the first time that we had a chance to play with this new look Strike Force, <laughs> and Crouch coming on. And it was a game which for a 1-1 draw was absolutely full of incident. We've got quite a lot to talk about actually this week. Um, but I want to start in the early stages of the game. Um, there were two particular instances that I want to talk about that I think could perhaps have changed the game. Um, I think, first of all, Dave, it was pretty sad to see Danny Ings go off again injured, wasn't it? That poor lad's just been absolutely plagued with injuries throughout his entire career. And before he was substituted off, I actually thought he was looking alarmingly quick and alarmingly sharp. Um, it would be interesting to see how that game would have played out if he'd stayed on the pitch.
4: Yeah, I thought he started the game really well. He looked uh, bright. He had that chance, didn't he? had that shot against uh, Tom Heaton. They pulled out a, a sort of a a block save, make himself big and uh, that actually led to the uh the the, the challenge on uh, Charlie Taylor, I think it was, wasn't it? Callum Slattery came uh, flying in on um on Charlie Taylor immediately after Ings had almost uh, taken the lead for Southampton. But yeah, uh Danny Ings, we know what he's capable of. is uh is a fantastic player for Burnley, a great servant for us when he was playing, scored a lot of goals, um, went to Liverpool and you know had his injury problems there, stop start. Um, and he's, you know, he's got to move away from Liverpool. I don't think he was ever going to get into the Liverpool side, I think the way that they have progressed in the time that he was there. Um, and he's trying to restart his career at Southampton and he's, uh, he's shown a glimpse again of what he's capable of this season, but it'd be really disappointing for him to, uh, to get another injury um, and hoping for his sake that it's not a long-term one.
2: Yeah, well, I'm, I'm reading reports today that it's probably going to be a couple of weeks that he's going to be out and I think I tweeted at the time that um, I wanted him to not be long term injured. I wanted it to be maybe a week or so recovery. But actually, I was quite pleased that he wasn't playing against us. He certainly had Ben Me um, given the run around. I don't I think Ben Me could keep up with him. That chance he had with heat and save. Actually, I think he probably could have done better. And I think we were perhaps lucky. Um, I think Heaton maybe made the save look a little bit better than it was. If you look at the replays, he just smashes it straight into him. I think he tries to chip it over Heaton and just misses. Um, But yeah, I was certainly glad glad to see the back of him. Um, George, one of the points that Dave just mentioned there was obviously the the incident then led... Sorry, the goal (laughs) chance then led to the incident with Slattery on Charlie Taylor. What was your take on that? And I'm going to discount what actually happened being nothing because... That's clearly the, they completely the wrong um, stance to take. Was it just a yellow card, or do you think he could have got walked for that?
5: Yeah. So actually, looking back on it, I'm not sure. He, I, I don't even think he got a yellow card for it. I'm, I'm not too sure, but I remember with the tackle that the foul that was the Burnley player. A couple of minutes later, I can't remember. I think it might be barred till he was given a yellow. And I remember thinking back to the slattery challenge and thinking, how was he not booked him for that? I think looking back on the replay. It did look, to me, I mean, maybe I'm being a bit soft here, but it did look like he slipped, to be fair, and took him out. So I think maybe, obviously, a yellow, fair enough. But I don't think it's a sending off. But just with challenges like that, it was obviously it was only a few minutes into the game. I, I feel like there's this thing around the league where, the, the, oh, it's it's too early in the game to do anything, as in the ref. You can't send him off so early. It'd ruin the game. But I just think it's absolute nonsense, because if it happens, it doesn't matter what time in the game, it, the referee's job isn't to entertain the fans, it's to be a good official. So I think it definitely should have been a yellow. I don't think he actually booked him, which I think a couple of minutes later, when I think it was Bardsley was booked, you're just thinking, it, you know, he should have been, really been booked yeah. there.
2: No, he didn't, didn't book him in the end, you're right. Um, I completely agree with you and I'm massively frustrated by this um, insistence that it, it's too um too early in a game and, and especially with some of the bigger teams as well I think we were watching the City-Liverpool game and um Vincent Kupner should have been sent off relatively early shouldn't he and I think a lot of people were justifying his lack of red card on the grounds that he didn't want the game to be spoilt George you're absolutely right the referee's not there to entertain the fans Um I actually agree with you. I think at the time, I thought it was a yellow card. Looking back on the replays, I still think it's a yellow card. I do think he slipped, in which case it's more clumsy than um, nasty in any way. Um, but you look at that, George, and you think, well, OK, so we've had a situation where we've you know, managed to stop a goal from going in. Danny's gone off injured. Um, they should be down to 10 men um, if, if people look at it and say, well, it could have easily been a, a red card. And then we should have, and could have, had a penalty down the other end and we've suddenly 1-0 up playing against 10 men Southampton at home and the whole game feels completely different. Um, George, this needs no introduction. Everybody's talking about it. So just go straight into it. What on earth do we make of that Ashley Barnes penalty appeal?
5: I just couldn't believe it. I remember I was sat there and obviously you see the referee put his whistle to his mouth, and before he'd even blown, I was jumping at my seat, you know, a penalty in the Premier League, I couldn't believe it, and when I saw him, obviously, give the the foul, I was just absolutely gobsmacked, and to be honest, I think, I think we were, obviously, it should have been a penalty, he's completely cleared him out there, and I was actually surprised, looking on the replays, that Barnes actually didn't really make a meal of it, which, you know, with him backing into the strikers all the time, and going down, you sort of expect him to sort of make a meal of it, but When I was watching it and he actually went down really naturally, I couldn't believe how, I mean, the referee was too far away, but the linesman, I don't know how the linesman did give it, but even after it hadn't been given, I think even obviously it was the wrong decision, we were very lucky not to have Bond sent off because if you're looking at the videos afterwards of what he was shouting at the linesman, it could have very easily been two yellows for us there.
2: Yeah, it could. Dave, let's bring you in on this one, because I'm not entirely sure this has been clarified in any official capacity, or if it has, I haven't seen it today. There's a lot of confusion out there as to whether or not Barnes was booked for the dive or for his reaction afterwards. Do you know which one it is?
4: Um, I don't know definitively. The the suspicion is that it was for the... um... Uh, well, a supposed uh, dive um, and then the referee perhaps has then been a little bit lenient um, on, on that basis but overall he's, he's, he's made a rick of a decision um, you look at all of the reaction to it um match of the day, some of the other um, uh, sports programmes that have been out. I think pretty much the only person who thought it wasn't a penalty was uh, Matt Letitia, who surprisingly was a former Southampton player. So that uh, says it all about that. I think pretty much everyone and a lot of former referees as well have come out and said that... Uh, yeah, Anthony Taylor got that one really wrong. I think the, the the biggest issue was on match of the day. They did show the distance. He was almost 30 yards behind the play um, and didn't have a very good view of it either. So his linesman really, as, as George said, his linesman really needed to help him out. He had a really good angle, side onto it, not very far away. It was on the right side of the pitch. The linesman should have called that one and he got it uh, really, really wrong. And between them, they've made a, a real error there and Burnley have, uh, have lost out as a result.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I was furious at the time and I don't think I've calmed down much since. I think going back to the Barnes um reaction, I think for me that was probably his only blip on an otherwise sublime performance. I'll come back on to this in a well, actually no, well let's deal with this now. I thought Ashley Barnes all the way through the game was absolutely phenomenal. He made a pest of himself, but he was strong, he held the ball up, he hit that ball um with a fantastic volley um, towards the end of the game. Forgive me, I can't remember whether it was pre or post Crouch coming on but he certainly looked um, a handful and I think his reaction is probably um, I guess just frustration more than anything um, but George, he is you're right, he is really lucky there and if you look at Williford Sahar last week who got the second yellow for sarcastically clapping the referee um, I think we've kind of got to appreciate, we've got to be a bit lucky there that the referee was that bad that he then didn't send him off
5: yeah, I mean, I've, the, the, to be honest, just, it was really justified his reaction. But as a footballer, you know, you can't really be doing that to the linesman. But on his overall game, I think what's really crazy is you're thinking back to the first half of the season and Barnes couldn't even get in the team. And you're looking at our team today and he's probably alongside Heaton, the first name on the team sheet at the moment. Since, the, since we've turned it around after Boxing Day, he's just been absolutely superb. And he's been back to the Barnes of past. I mean, in the first half of the season, I just didn't think he had a, a real chance. You know, he was coming on as a sub. He scored them two goals against Bournemouth. But he's back to just causing just causing defenders nightmares all game, to be honest.
2: Yeah, he really was. Um, I, my view with this one, George, is that if, if that penalty is given and it goes in, even sticking with 11 men for Saints and this red card that a lot of people were calling for never happened, I really genuinely feel like we go on and win that game.
5: Yeah, that's the really annoying thing. I think at home, if Burnley go one nil, we win it. You know, eight eight times out of ten, especially against teams that are down there with us, we always see out one nil wins. You know, it's when you're going to make a prediction for Burnley at home, it's one nil or nil nil, and that's all you're predicting. And it's really annoying given the last couple of games we've had, where we've genuinely been robbed of two points in each game at the end of the game. So you're looking back on them, that's four points there at United and Watford. And OK, it's not as clear-cut this because it's the fir- in the first half, but most times you see Burnley see out a 1-0 win. And that's six points there where it could have really helped us up the table. But instead, we're looking over our shoulders and a bit gutted that Cardiff have managed to pull out a win at the weekend.
2: Oh God, we really are. I still can't believe that result. Flipping Eddie Howe. It was obviously he was going to lose against Cardiff. He hates, well, he's got Southampton there, East Coast rivals, and then he obviously still hates us because he left us. So, damn you, Eddie Howe. Dave, let's move on a little bit, because obviously we'd got ourselves to half-time and, and we'd uh, come out for a second half, hoping to build on a little bit of pressure towards the end of that first half. But it wasn't to be, was it? We we started the second half really, really slow and a bit sluggish, in my opinion, and it ended up culminating in this Southampton goal, which was an absolutely fantastic strike. Um At the time when I was looking at it on turf, I did feel that the defence were pretty sloppy. Um, But actually, looking back on it, the replays when I got home, I'm not sure that's particularly fair. Um, What was your view on it? Do you think the defence could have done more or was it just one of those wonder strikes from about 30 yards out that we couldn't really do much about?
4: I think you've got to give credit to Redmond. He uh, did really well for the goal, sort of wrong-footed uh, Jack Cork and then a uh, shot, fantastic shot from, from distance. It was a, a cracking goal. I think the worrying thing from Burnley's point of view is that's now the uh, 12th goal we've conceded from outside the box this season, which is uh, a lot. Now, I think luck does come into that a little bit, but maybe there is sort of a, a systematic uh, element to it as well. Um, I'm sure it's something they'll be looking at, but to concede that many goals from outside the box, I'm not sure what the total we've conceded now, is somewhere in the 40s, isn't it? But 12 of those have come from outside the box is an unusually high proportion of goals. Um, So we'll be hoping there won't be quite as many in the uh, the remainder of the season.
2: Yeah, it's quite an interesting stat, is that. I'm not sure that I'd really picked up on the fact that we'd conceded so many goals from outside of the box. And I don't know whether that's indicative of the Premier League just getting harder and harder and and strikers are finding um, that they have to try different ways to um, get balls across because defences are just getting stronger and stronger and everybody knows how to be resilient and everybody knows how to defend against some real talent in this league. Um, George it stayed like that for the remainder of the second half and Burnley did seem to pick up a little bit and, and certainly the, it, it, I was pleased to see the reaction to them going 1-0 down they they really picked their game up but we've seen this a lot this season haven't we with a slow start to halves whether it be the first or the second half and it's just it's really uncharacteristic of Dutch side isn't it
5: yeah just uh going back to the goal a second um i know i've i've noticed and i think there is stats about this up over the last well, most of the time, Daesh has been at Burnley. We've actually conceded quite a lot of goals from outside the box. And I remember watching a, a video analysing the way the Daesh defence actually sets up in the midfield. And they sort of box together, obviously, in the two banks of four. And they sort of encourage shots from distance because teams, that we're so good at um, our structure that teams can't actually break us down. So it relies on them having to shoot from distance. And I know we try to do it so they have a shoot from the right-hand side, or the left. We never try to get them to shoot from the centre, and the centre back at the opposite side drops back a bit to go on the opposition post. I know this time it was a bit of a it was a, a counter attack, so it's not quite the same. But I know when Dash has been manager at Burnley, we have conceded quite a lot of goals from outside the box because of that. But at the same time, we've not conceded goals inside the box because they've not been able to break us down. So I think it can go sort of either way. But back to your question. Uh, I thought it was a really typical dice performance where, okay, we weren't at it for the majority of the game, but we keep on slugging away, slugging away, and we managed to get an equaliser at the end. So I, I think even when we're not on the top of our game, we still managed to just grab points out of nowhere in the last 10 minutes where we're still going, still going.
2: Absolutely. And I think um, players like Ashley Barnes are very much typify tip- that. Typify? Am I making words up?
4: Yeah, bit? you can have that.
2: Yeah. Dave, is that a word? Tipify. Excellent. Thank you. Um, I do have to rely on Dave every now and again when I forget how to actually speak English. Um, Dave, once we'd got back into the game, and obviously there was a lot of... There was just relentless pressure in that last 20 minutes, especially to get a goal. Um, We knew it was going to happen, and it did happen, with about 15 minutes to go. Dyke broke, crouch on. I... Didn't quite expect him to have just the level of impact that he did. Do you think know that's fair? I thought he was terrific when he came on. The, the Southampton defence did not know what to do with him.
4: And um, uh, it wasn't totally unexpected for me. We, we, we've seen Peter Crouch play, and we know he's capable of. He's capable of using his height, and Burnley played to that advantage as well. Um, yeah, he's getting on a little bit more in terms of years, but he's still uh, more than capable of, uh, of playing that role. Um, and he did did fantastically well for us when he came on. It just it seemed to sort of spur his on for that last uh, ten or fifteen minutes. Um, and Burnley were a lot more creative um, when they were going for it. Um, and just you just knew that equaliser were coming. Although, well, I, I say he knew the equaliser were coming. There was a remarkable number of people who were streaming out when the um, the board went up at the end. And I think quite a lot um, missed that uh, penalty decision and the goal at the end.
2: Definitely. Uh, George, same question to you then. Did you fully expect um, Crouch to make the impact that he did? And do you think it's one that can keep happening towards the end of the season? I guess what I'm getting at is, is it is he too much of a one-trick pony where defences will figure him out pretty quickly and it actually has a less of an impact as the season goes on?
5: Yeah, so I saw, I did see Jamie Smith tweet actually after the game saying, you know, Crouch worked this time, but teams will figure it out. But, you know, at the end of the day, he's 38 years old, he's played enough Premier League football and yet he's still causing problems when he comes on. I think one of the underrated bits of Crouch is that, yeah, he'll win you the headers and all that, but as soon as you bring him on, the other team has to react. And they often change the system. So I know at the weekend, as soon as we brought him on, Southampton brought on a sub, I can't remember who it was, and he went and man-marked Crouch. And I know when he's played for Stoke against us, I remember when we won there 2-1 a couple of years ago, uh, when Ings scored twice. As soon as they brought Crouch on, we brought Michael Keane on to go five at the back. So it's not just the impact he has when when he's actually playing, it's the impact he has on the structure of the other team. They have to adjust every time he comes on. And then, actually, when he was playing, he was fantastic, to be honest. He just pumped the balls into the box and he'll just cause issues, even if he doesn't win them because they've defended well. As you see with the penalty, it's causing the problems and that's how we've eventually got our first Premier League penalty in 68 games.
2: Indeed. I didn't really know how to react when it first happened. I think I was so sure that he wasn't going to give it. Um, George, let's stick with you then and let's talk about the penalty. a blatant handball by Stevens, unbelievable bit and handball. I don't know what he was thinking. He was doing. I think it's come under quite a lot of stick from the Southampton fans, who are pretty angry at him. Um, before we go to talk about the nerve of Ashley Barnes and the penalty itself, there's a lot of speculation amongst Saints fans following the circulation of a photograph that shows Peter Crouch pulling at um, Richard's sh- shirt. Um, Richard Stevens. Richards, Stevens. I will clarify that in a moment for you. I'm not doing that well tonight, am I? Um, he's, he pulls down his shirt. Now, when you look at that in real time, it's really not clear whether or not that foul or the alleged foul takes place after his hand's already up there. But I think it, you're going to have to have a lot of, of gold to really um, claim that that handball shouldn't have stood.
5: So, I, yeah, I think even with VAR next season, hopefully it gets introduced. There's no way that gets over the turn from the the angles I've seen. You know, it's not clear and obvious. There's only one picture of it going about on social social media where he's he's pulling the shirt at the back. Well, at the end of the day, to be honest, I have no sympathy after the Barnes penalty in the first half and just how many we've been denied over the last two years. So if, if it wasn't a penalty, then fair enough, we'll hold our hands up. But we still have no sympathy for the Saints after that first half penalty claim.
2: Amen to that. I could not have put that better myself. Um, Dave, just the sheer calmness and just focus that Ashley Barnes showed to step up for that penalty. It was a massive penalty. It was pretty much the last kick of the game. If we miss it, we lose that game. and We we miss our first Premier League game in 50-12 matches. He didn't even blink, did he? He was phenomenal in putting that and it was a great penalty.
4: Uh, I'm glad he was taking it and not uh, Tarkey. Did you see the uh, picture that the uh, Burnley Twitter account had uh, tweeted out today? Um, it was a, a shot from the other end. It was basically Tarkey was facing away from goal as um, uh, Ashley Barnes was taking his run-up with his shirt over his head.
2: <gasps> really? yeah <laughs> oh that's fantastic. I'll go and look for that. that is brilliant i i didn't know if I didn't think I could look. I was so convinced he was going to miss it just because i I couldn't believe that we were lucky enough that we'd got the penalty and for him to actually score it as well um again the Southampton keeper coming under quite a bit of stick Dave from Southampton fans he didn't seem to really move much for the penalty did he? Yeah
4: I think the difficult when the the low I mean he, he, Ashley Barnes he was uh, nerves of steel wasn't it for that penalty he stepped up and uh, sloshed it away and uh, did what we wanted and got the point out of the game which you know we've, we've said already haven't we that uh, you know perhaps we could have got a little bit more out of it if we'd have uh, got that penalty and scored it in the first half but we can only we can only uh, carry on uh, as we as we do when the decisions go against us. We did that. We, we've gone a goal down. We've got back into the game, and at the end of it, when it's that late, um, as I think I said in the uh, the piece at the start, we were actually glad of a a point. But you're thinking again, could we have had more? But it's 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 greed to some extent. We had the uh, poor run that we had. We only had um uh the the points we had we've only got twelve points in the first half of the season, the first nineteen games since boxing day we've had six Premier League games we've had three wins and three draws we've got twelve points, so we've done the same in six games that we have in nineteen.
2: Oh that's quite interesting uh god i just I just don't know whether. My brain is allowing me to believe right now that we will survive. Um, George, a final word from you on this. We'd obviously finished the game and, and rescued a point, um, but we were hit at the end of the, the evening by a sucker punch with Cardiff managing to beat Bournemouth, um, putting all all of the, the immediate teams outside the relegation zone just two points clear of safety, um, and we're rooted back into 18th place. Um it, do you think we'll be okay or does that just horrible league table just make you feel a bit more doom and gloom?
5: I, I still think we'll, I've just, I I think to be honest, I think we've completely turned a corner as a team and we should go on and be able to survive now but we are so hampered by our terrible first half of the season, if you look back obviously we've unbeaten in six, if you just take that on its own, a, a draw against Southampton, okay it's not the best result but it's not the end of the world. And I, and I saw a tweet today, uh, I think you retweeted it, where if you if the season had started um, after boxing there, we'd be fourth. So, you know, you're taking that result, but we're really hampered by that awful first half of the season that's just left us in need of winning sort of almost every game we can do. And But if you're thinking about it, taking it out of context, the, the Bournemouth-Cardiff game, Bournemouth at home, we beat them 4-0 this season. It's not, Bournemouth are doing well this season but they're always a team that you can beat at home they're not one of the big teams nothing like I'd like I'd fear wolves coming to turf but I wouldn't feel I wouldn't fear Bournemouth so I think that Cardiff result against Bournemouth yeah it's a good result for them and it, it'll be, it will be interesting to see how much of a, a lift well obviously it's a negative lift but they'll be inspired now by obviously the horrible Salah incident whether that'll kick them on to go and just perform a miracle for the second half of the season. But at the end of the day, their squad isn't as good as ours. We're two points ahead of them. We've turned a corner. We should be able to do this. We've survived before in this league, once in a really hard relegation battle. And I do have every faith that we'll stay up. It's just whether Cardiff pull off a miracle. But I think Southampton, Southampton should be safe. They've got a really good manager now. And Newcastle, the same with Benitez. So I do really think it's between us and Cardiff. But I think we'll just about have enough.
2: Yeah, I mean, you say that Newcastle—they're not—they're not lighting the league up this season, are they? And Southampton have got a real um, inconsistency um, issue, and they're actually not scoring a massive amount of goals either. Um, I just don't. I think four wins does it, in my opinion. That puts us on 36 points, and that should be enough this season to survive, I think. So, looking at the fixtures between now and the end of the season, I think four wins will be enough. Um, whether or not Newcastle and Southampton, are, are, are with their managers, is enough, you know, their managers haven't got them out of it yet. Um, and I think one of the key points as well which my other half was saying to me today it's not like there's only us in 17th and there's a huge gap between 16th, there is only two points between us and Crystal Palace in 14th so they're only four points clear of the relegation zone, Brighton five points they're starting to, to pull up a little bit, um, although they are a little bit on free fall at the moment so I think one of the things that is going for us isn't necessarily just the squad and the manager and the experience that we've got in surviving in this league but it's the fact that we're not just trying to survive against one side. There are three or four, possibly as many as five teams in there that could all see themselves slipping in. So I am feeling confident. I just would be feeling a lot more confident if Cardiff would have lost and we were five points clear. Um, Which brings us on to Davido, Statman Dave, whatever we like to call you this week. A rather important away fixture on Saturday away at Brighton. Why don't you hit us up with a few stats?
4: Well, before I do that, I think the, you've talked about the gap to uh, to Brighton. That's um, potentially important as well. If we were able to get a, a win down the south coast, that does uh, close the gap back up to them as well. And as you say, Crystal Palace are uh, only a couple of points ahead as well. So I think there's still quite a lot of teams in there. I thought well, you can narrow it down. I think there's maybe, it could be, um, again, you're looking at Huddersfield as being gone, um, Fulham more than likely, and then it's who's that. Th- Who's that third place? It could be any one of maybe six teams in there for, for that one. So we just need to carry on what we've been doing because we've been doing really well uh, of late. And um, going on to uh, Brighton though, as a as a preview, and um, we haven't played them that many times. Looking back at the uh, the past matches, um, we've played them uh, fifteen times. I was going to say down at their place, but it's uh, it's changed that often, hasn't it? They played at uh, uh, the Goldstone Ground uh, with Dean and uh, well. The Amex now, the Falmer Stadium, which is where they uh, they play at at the moment. Um, and Burnley have only had three wins in those uh, 15 matches, which doesn't sound like a lot. But in, in away terms, if you're getting a, a return of, of one in four, then you're not doing too bad. So we are just slightly behind in terms of the wins we've had. Um, those three victories we have had, um, the first one's going back to the second game we played. And we had a, a cup game in 1961, um, that was a 3-all draw. Um, and then after that, the first victory we had against Brighton away from home was in 1972. That was uh, with Jimmy Adamson as manager in uh, November 1972. And uh, Martin Dobson scored the goal in a 1-0 win. Um, we then had a succession of uh, defeats and draws before we got another win against them. And that was thanks to a little magician by the name of Robbie Blake. Um, that was November again. Uh 2004, um, he scored when Steve Cotterill was manager, again for another 1-0 win. And in fact, all three wins we've had have all been uh, 1-0, because the third one we had, the third and final win, was in December 2011. Um, this was um, an unusual game, um, and one where our Ashley Barnes was involved as well. He was playing for Brighton. They'd already had a man sent off. Um, and he made a challenge on, I'm trying to remember who the Burnley player was who he challenged, but he came in for a, uh, a, a quite awful challenge and, and got a straight bread for it. And Brighton were down to uh, nine men very early on in the game. And then Kieran Trippier scored a really good goal. He scored a, a cracker from outside the box. It must have been about 25 yards out. Again, fairly early on in the first half, put Burnley 1-0 up against nine men. Um, and we held on for a, for a win. Um, since then, we've had uh, a couple of uh, defeats and a couple of draws, um, memorable ones. Um, well, well, we'll skim over last season. That was a, a, a nil-nil. Um, Brighton missed a penalty in that game. Burnley managed to to hold on for a nil-nil draw. But the interesting one was April 2016. That was the 2015-2016 season, in the middle of the uh, 23 undefeated run. Um, and Burnley had a perfectly good goal, choked off. We were um, looking like we are going to get a goal. Didn't get it. Um, and this was the, uh, the the famous Phil Bird and Justice incident, in, <laughs> incident where uh, Burnley then came back, uh, got a corner and then scored from the uh, corner. It was uh, Michael Keane uh, scoring from the uh, corner. To make it two-two, because at the time Brighton were right up there with us and uh, and, and pressuring us right at the top of the table, but Burnley uh, uh, did the business and and got promoted, whereas Brighton had to uh, had to wait. Um, so that was a, another memorable game, not a victory that one, but the the three victories we've had have all been one 0 and I think we'd settle for another one 0 on uh, on Saturday, wouldn't we? In the uh, in the T-Town kickoff.
2: Yeah, we certainly would. Why does it feel like we spend all of our times this morning at the moment talking about rank? official decisions it's like oh look we had a perfectly good goal scored which was disallowed oh look that onside goal was given for offside I'm just so fed up of it um, while we're recording tonight we've got some um, issues with um, sorry we're following the commentary of the Liverpool West Ham game it looks like there's some more uh, massive referee decisions um, George what did you make of all of that?
5: Yeah I was just about to say I've had the uh, Liverpool game on while we've been recording oh. and the, <laughs> the first goal for Liverpool James Milner is at least two yards offside and I'm not kidding, it is at, least, at most two metres away from the linesman really? on that side. Just incredible. I'm watching it and I'm just thinking flashbacks to our games against Watford and United. I mean, the sooner VAR comes in, the better. So with the amount of money this league's got and the, how important it is for sort of teams to stay up or win the league or get top four, these decisions have to be right, don't they?
2: Yeah, they really do. Um, I just... There are some teams that are luckier than others. Arsenal and Liverpool (laughs) are two that definitely spring to mind. Um, I think I was watching, uh, again, forgive me, I can't remember which game it was. It might have been City yesterday. Um, but there was, um, a, a penalty incident, which was pretty much an identical carbon copy of Jeff Hendricks, um, pull on Jesse Lingard that we considered a penalty and it just wasn't given and it was waved away and everybody was just saying, oh yeah, no, you don't get penalties for that. It's, it would have been a soft one. And I'm just screaming at the TV going, except when it's for somebody outside of the top six. It's, it's just ridiculous. Um, George, obviously, Dave's given us the head-to-head there and we know that we've got um, a, a record against Brighton, which has seen some ups and some downs. But taking all of that into account, what's your gut telling you about Saturday? How do you think we'll perform and how do you think we'll finish the game?
5: So I think it'll be another scrappy game, a bit like the Southampton one. But I think for the relegation fight, Brighton are a team really to look at. I know when we played them, at, I think it was at, well, it was at home a few months ago, they were something like 13 points ahead of us and now we've had a complete change of fortunes. We've dragged them back, and they just can't seem to win at the moment. at Brighton. And I know Glen Murray's had a, a spell out injured as well. I think they're really a team to look at when it comes to the relegation. There's always a team that sort of drops down into it. But for the weekend, I think, yeah, it'll be a scrappy game, and I think we'll just about have enough for a 2-1 win. But I think it could easily be a, a, a nil-nil draw like last season. Uh, both both sides are good defensively and well structured, so it could be one of those where they just cancel each other out. Do
2: you think? Do you think a point's enough, or do you think that we have to win? Do you think this is a must-win game, or do you think a draw's enough?
5: I think with it being away, I think with I'd I'd take a point and just keep on the uh, to make it seven undefeated. You know, I'd take that, but obviously we want the win. But I think if I don't know who Cardiff have got this weekend, but if we could extend that gap maybe to three points. Uh, But then obviously we've got Tottenham after, so we could do with a win, especially given, obviously, our first half of the season.
2: Ooh, Cardiff have Southampton on Saturday.
5: Ooh,
2: oh God, that's... Do you know, I'd probably prefer Southampton to win that than Cardiff, just on the grounds that I think Cardiff have got more chance of getting relegated than Southampton. I think we've got to be looking for a Southampton win. If both we can win and, and Southampton can win, I think that then puts us in a much stronger position um Dave obviously you've had the stats there what's your final word what do you think we'll do on Saturday?
4: I think it'll be another tight game down at Brighton I don't think they are giving too much away um I have a suspicion that it might be a draw that would be my uh my prediction I'll go for a, a draw obviously I'd be uh, delighted if uh if we can go down there and get a, a victory but as, as George said a uh, a draw continues the uh, the fantastic run we've been on in the uh, league, just the defeat at uh, at Manchester City so far this season. I think I joked when we'd won um, against West Ham and then against Huddersfield and gone two undefeated, whether we could go 23 undefeated, but there weren't enough games left in the season. Um, but we've gone <laughs> six, six undefeated already, make it seven. It's, just, it's a game at a time, but I think, uh, yeah, away from home, you'd always settle for... Uh, for that, it just uh, continues the run. But if we were able to go one better, then uh, I think you know everyone would be delighted.
2: Yeah, me too. Um, I'm feeling much more confident than you two are with your slightly reserved predictions. I just feel like the confidence in this squad is fantastic, and I think we're creating more chances than we have done recently, which is really, really good. And we've just been quite unlucky, really, with some terrible officiating decisions um, that could have seen us pulling pretty clear of of the relegation zone right now so I'm going to go for a 2-1 win to Burnley I think that's where we're going to go Um, and that's all we have time for time absolutely flies when you're having fun lots to talk about this week and I think it's been um, a fantastic discussion about transfers and business pressure and appalling referees and our fight to maintain our position in this league. Um, Thanks, as ever, go to um, Dave for his insight on the panel. Special thanks to George. George, thanks so much for joining us. It's been a real pleasure having you on.
5: Yeah, thank you guys for having me after listening, obviously, for a few years now it's brilliant to finally be on and hopefully i'll be back on soon cheers guys
2: absolutely we'll definitely see you again soon um thanks to producer matt for taking this podcast and editing it and tinkering around with it and making us sound a lot better than we actually are thanks matt um but thanks as ever to you the listeners for downloading and listening to this episode your support is so much appreciated and we simply would not be here without you this has been the none and ever podcast i've been natalie bromley until next time